So Advent is a time where we easily get wrapped up into the um, excitement of Christmas. But what we often forget, especially on the first Sunday of Advent, is that the opening and the story of Christ is an opening of silence, God's silence, um, and the complicated emotions that come with silence. Um, the story of Christ opens with the birth of John the Baptist. And I'm going to read that first, and then I'm going to talk a little bit. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and his wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, it fell upon him by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared before him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of the Lord and the altar of the incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell upon him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he shall have no drink of wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Spirit of the Lord, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord of their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you, and to bring you good news. And behold, you will be silent, and unable to speak, until the day when these things come to pass, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay at the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he made signs to them and remained dumb. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she hid herself, saying, Thus the Lord has done to me in these days when he look upon me to take away my reproach among men. So before I start talking, I'm going to read an Advent poem um, written by Micah Murray. And um, it does, the original text does have some language that um, I thought some people would be uncomfortable with, so I changed a little bit of the language. Um, but I think it's a pretty apt poem for today for what's going on in our culture and globally. The poem is called Rend the Heavens, a Psalm for Advent. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That's what the church people say on the first Sunday of Advent. Light a candle and burn it all the way down. And yet, 
the darkness remains. Oh, that you would, oh, that you would rend the inky blackness and crash into this ice-cold planet in an explosion of light again. Oh, Lord, how long? Oh, Lord, how long? Oh, Lord, how long? Screw this. Oh, Lord, this is my tired Advent prayer. Screw this indeed. Amen. Which, being translated, means, How long, oh, Lord? until you heal that which has been rent nearly beyond repair. Wait, stay awake, lean into longing, hope against the darkness. But I am tired of waiting. I am impatient with patience. Oh, and by the way, I am tired of being tired too. So screw this, or run the heavens and come down. Either one, do it. Sometimes the only thing left to do is simply hold each other and dance in the darkness, waiting for the light. But I am tired of the darkness, and I am tired of waiting, bone-weary of this waltz that is three steps forward and two steps back, around and around and around in the darkness. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, amen. Oh, and the Christmas miracle of God in a manger wouldn't be just a one oh that the Christmas miracle of God in a manger wouldn't be a just a one time magic trick. Because God, we could use a Christmas miracle these days. Because by now the ice and the snow and the darkness are already old friends. But we haven't even reached the darkest day yet. And I'm scared and I'm bleeding and I'm tired. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Wait. Stay awake. Lean into the longing. Hope against the darkness. That's what the church people say. But I can count down the hours till sunrise. And I can count down the days until Christmas. But I cannot count down the days until... Because I don't know. Hope that is seen is not hope. Yet I am tired of hoping in the darkness. Screw this. Advent is a season for longing and lament. That's what the church people say. So God, if you are listening, and I hope you are okay with this, amen. And please, God, if it's not too much trouble, could you spare a few moments to come and run the heavens and come down? When I was 19, I went away on my first and only mission trip, a week working in the inner city of Camden, New Jersey, which at that point in time was considered one of the most violent cities in the U.S. But what do a bunch of middle-class Pacific Northwest evangelical college students know about that? Not much. So we went to work at Tony Campolo's Urban Promise, a community and educational development organization. During the course of that week, the poverty and rejection of Shalom, the biblical flourishing of life, present in the city, convicted me. How could we as people and our government allow people and communities to live in such darkly depressed and disseminated spaces? I had angry conversations with God about how could this happen, 
How could this continue to happen? I learned more about things like gentrification and racism and white flight and the systemic systems of oppression that keep people down. Camden mostly resembled the images I had in my head of Warsaw and Dresden after the bombing campaigns in World War II. How the hell could people live in this state? The church space we worked in all week was the remnant of what used to be a gorgeous cathedral that had been left to rot as its ceiling slowly caved in on itself. And the produce in the grocery stores were shocking to me in their lack of freshness and ingredients. The only place in the city beyond the school which Urban Thomas had built that was new was the hospital emergency room, a space that filled from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. with victims of violence, drug addiction, and neglect. And on one particular night, four white college students, one with whom we would later learn, had a severe case of pink eye. Overall, the week was a mixture of desperate prayers, beautiful moments, and realizations, hard and shattering things. And then I came home. When we left, when we left the Philadelphia airport, I knew something wasn't right. After a day of traveling, trying to get a hold of anyone in my family to say that I had wanted to change my plans last minute and get picked up and spend some time at home instead of going just straight back to school, I finally was able to contact my paternal grandmother five minutes before we boarded our plane. While I was abuzz at the energetic high from my week, she was overtly calm and curt in her conversation. She really said only a few words, mostly that two of her daughters, my aunts, would be picking me up from the airport in Seattle and driving me home to Portland. It wasn't until the last hour of my five-hour flight that the oddity of that information kicked in. Even though I lived three hours away from home, no one but my brothers and my parents had visited me in the year and a half I had been in college. And now my aunts, one a missionary on furlough from Ghana, were making the drive up to meet my 10 p.m. flight. Something was very wrong. I spent the last leg of the flight racking my brain to figure out what might be wrong, and then we landed. As soon as I walked into the boarding area, my aunt and a staff member from our college ministry team took me aside and relayed the news. Two days before, while coming over the mountain pass from Eastern Oregon, my mother and little brother had been in a car accident. There had been a freak snowstorm in the spring, and the weather had turned on the dime. It went from sunny and 65 to whiteout in half an hour. It was so fast that the first responders on the scene were still in short sleeves. My little brother was fine. He had a few bruises, and he shattered his jaw, which had been wide shut. But he was recovering quite nicely and in pretty good spirits, given the fact that all he got to eat was ice cream. He was also, and continues to be now, at 27, so brave. He spoke to all the medics and first responders through his shattered jaw. He told them who he was and who my mom was and how to get a hold of my grandparents and other key people in our lives. 
She relayed phone numbers and vital parts of information. My mom, on the other hand, was in the ICU. She was in a coma. Having sustained brain damage and shattering the whole right side of her body when she went up six inches with the front of the car. They didn't know she would make it through the night. And in that moment, beyond the utter shock of it all, beyond my expectation that eventually sometime in my life something bad and horrific would happen, my feelings were and continued to be for a long time, why? Screw this. How can any good come out of this? How can I believe or hope in anything again? How the hell does this happen, and why? Why does my mom have to suffer? Why does my family? Why did Anne Frank and all the other people who never escaped Dachau and Auschwitz and Robben Island and Syria and Raqqa and Babylon? How long, oh Lord, would you allow this? How long do we have to wait in pain? You know that hope deferred makes the heart sick. You say it in your holy text. So why? Why do we wait? Why do you seem distant and silent? Why do you speak of why do you peak our hopes with stories of restoration and impossible possibilities? And stories of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, the mother of Samson. Micah, daughter of Saul, wife of David, was barren, and it became her bitterness. And then there's Elizabeth, wife of Zechariah, mother of John. You made her wait so long, so long past the age when she could bear, weaving her faithfulness through ridicule and whispered voices, through the judgmental looks and quandaries of her validity. All to reveal your glory, all so you could come and sit with us to feel the gut-wrenching heartache of humanity and healing and love to cry with us? Oh, Lord, how long? As we enter into this Advent season, let us not rush to the celebrations of a birthday party, but let us sit in the process. C.S. Lewis once wrote about the sweetness of his few years with his wife, Joy Davidson, before she died of cancer. The joy now is part of pain later. So let us sit with Elizabeth for a time, in the waiting, in the yearning period, the already and the not yet of promises and prayers yet unfulfilled. Not in the shattering way, but like Jacob when he wrestled with the angel or God under the fiery ladder that night, holding on in the middle of the wrestling mat until we are seared and marked by blessing. some sort of, of barrier or um, something in your way that's keeping you from um, 
from listening or from receiving from God. Our prayer this morning is that hearing the word and and praying together and that this music that we sing would be a, that these would be pathways for your heart to soften and and to open up towards God. It's It's a constant reality really that we all live with, that our hearts become more open to what God wants to do in us. While it's often understandable because of the things that take place in our lives, that we we have a desire to retreat or to to close ourselves off from from what's around us, uh, we pray this morning and we ask that the the Spirit would open us um, and would, would keep us from from desolation, but would bring us close to God instead. So let's sing this song together and let's let that be our prayer.
let's go in peace this week. And uh, would you receive this benediction? As we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Amen.